Let's do it. That's my recording voice. Ramen, what is your definitive version of Batman? Yeah, please, please, please don't do that. say is your definitive version of batman clearly batman the animated series which was so much better than that shitty x-men cartoon that everyone is obsessed with wait hold on a second you didn't like the 90s x-men cartoon i mean batman the animated series was on at the same time and it was just like so much better actually i'm gonna have to go with george clooney i mean joel schumacher bat nipples come on dude so you're telling me your ideal batman is a sexually frustrated little boy? A sexually frustrated little boy. That's my ideal Wolverine. So I'm I'm curious then, what you thought about Arkham Asylum? Because my read of it has definitely changed over the years. Aren't we talking about the hit video game? We are kind of talking about the hit video game. We're talking about the comic book that inspired that hit video game. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what Grant Morrison wanted to do. Arkham Asylum, written by Grant Morrison and illustrated as a nightmarish abstracted collage by Dave McKean, came out in 1989, the same decade as seminal Batman stories like Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns and Alan Moore's and Brian Ballin's The Killing Joke. Not to mention Tim Burton's hit movie, Batman, with the soundtrack by Prince. Its storyline is not as well-known as those latter three. Probably because there is no storyline, Ryan. The Arkham Asylum graphic novel has had tremendous influence on the character's lore. It turned Arkham Asylum, the insane asylum where Batman's villains always end up, into a major aspect of Gotham City. It introduced the now-cliched idea that Batman's villains are all reflections of Batman himself. And Arkham Asylum's depiction of the Joker was a major influence on Heath Ledger's iconic performance, not to mention that fantastic video game series you mentioned earlier, Ramen. But for all that influence, is it any good? I mean, it is subversive, but you know, I think that's what we're going to argue about today. I'm Ryan Joe. And I'm Roman Segel. And we are two guys who've been trapped in the madhouse since March. So Roman. What did you expect before you opened Arkham Asylum, and how did the book live up to those expectations? I, maybe I didn't spend enough time with it, but the expectations were sky high. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's one of those books I'd not read, but it's Grant Morrison, who, he comes into a character, and he just does it better than so many people that have come before him. We've we've talked about his run on the X-Men, we've talked about his run on Doom Patrol, and so many other things on this show, and... I thought it was going to be greater. I'm not going to say it wasn't great or I can't see the greatness in it, but it was shorter than I expected. You mentioned earlier that it wasn't so much a story so much as, I mean, it's the cliche before the cliche. So maybe he was doing it and using this take on Batman before anyone else did. So it had insanely high expectations and I'm not sure I met them. And and, and maybe you can talk me off a ledge on why... It's such a big deal. Well, I think it, it's notable for its depiction of Batman. I mentioned earlier as a sexually frustrated little boy, and I know that sounds flip. It's not flip. That's literally how he interprets Batman. Batman's got major mommy issues throughout this entire book. The book is basically about Batman's mommy issues. So if you're looking for a cool gothic story about uh, Batman as a detective, actually, Grant Morrison did do a really cool Batman one-shot gothic story that featured Batman as this confident detective solving a crime. It's called Batman Gothic. Yeah. 
which I highly recommend, but very different from this gothic tale where Batman is really kind of a weak man. I mean, despite all of his, you know, storming around Arkham Asylum as a superhero, he's very, very psychologically fragile. Something I read, and, something I read it might have been in the finishing notes by, you know, Vertigo's editor, was that originally Grant Morrison had written Robin in into the early sections, and he'd be like calling in tips to Batman on how to kind of foil the villains. And Dave McKeon was like, fuck this. You're already making me draw Batman. That's as far as I'll go. And Dave barely wants to talk about Batman in this book or illustrate Batman in this book. And so it it is a Batman story and so much of his point of view is woven in, but it kind of isn't. It's kind of like a story in the Batman universe. It's not, yeah. And actually, it's interesting that you brought up Dave McKean. So I read an interview with Dave McKean a while ago, and I can't remember where, but I, I distinctly remember him saying that he wished uh, it was more, even more abstract than it was. He was actually kind of disappointed at how literal some of the in- illustrations had yeah. to be. So I think he wanted to turn it even to even into a more hallucinogenic uh, nightmare. And I guess when you look at Dave McKean's covers for Sandman or his work with Neil Gaiman, a lot of it is just really kind of impressionistic. It's collage. It's just this vibe, this nightmarish vibe without anything really literal being depicted. And I kind of feel like Arkham Asylum kind of wrestles between being very literal, like Batman is, you know, has to work his way through the asylum, beating up the bad guys, eventually, you know, overcoming in the end. Versus being kind of an abstracted take on Batman's really damaged psyche, where the house is a reflection of how screwed up Batman is. And I've actually wrestled with Arkham Asylum over the years. I think the first time I read it, I was probably a teenager. And I thought that because it was so abstract and different, that, you know, naturally made it a really cool and adult book. And after that, I, I, I kept trying to figure out, like, what Grant Morrison is doing because he's definitely not trying to tell a normal Batman story. And I, I I used to think, oh, this is like a psychological portrait of Batman, but even that's wrong because it's, this isn't the Batman that we're, that anyone is used to in this comic. It's like a weird, scared little boy version of Batman. Well, and what's interesting about that is at the onset of the book, it's literal Batman shows up on the rooftop to talk to commissioner Gordon, picks up on the phone and talks to the Joker And it's larger than life Batman as he enters the gates of Arkham. And you kind of Mm. see it peeled back and peeled back and peeled back to to your point of scared little boy, right? Frustrated little boy, repressed little boy. And again, honestly, Batman was probably the least interesting thing to me in this book. He's a prop that gets you to buy the comic and, and buy into the pretense of all these crazy people that are a reflection of him. But Batman's arguably the least interesting thing for me in this book and that's why i joke about the video game i've never really played it i know it's a big deal but i think the only thing it must have in common with the video game is the premise (laughs) and maybe i i was kind of i was like i guess is every level like a boss one of the villains like no yeah so i have played the video game it basically uses this book kind of as you know the well, not even that, the foundation for the aesthetic. And then it uses the backstory of Arkham, of Amadeus Arkham. That kind of figures, I wouldn't say prominently in the video game Arkham Asylum. It's like an Easter egg. Like as you kind of like explore Arkham Asylum as Batman, 
you you discover the secrets of Arkham Asylum. It is pretty similar to what's depicted with Amadeus Arkham in Grant Morrison's book. Honestly, the video game Arkham Asylum feels more like Batman the Animated Series. It actually it even has you know Mark Hamill doing the voice of the Joker and Kevin Conroy doing the voice of of Batman, and it's a much more competent you know, detective version of Batman who's, you know, has all these cool gadgets and can, you know, fight his way out of any situation. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Batman the Animated Series. It's the most, and we'll come back to this comic in a second, but it is the most pure, distilled version of everything that makes Batman work. I think one of the best Batman movies is the animated series movie, Mask of the Phantasm. Like, I, Mm. I will fight tooth and nail and die on my sword to say it is arguably the best Batman. And... I feel like in the era that it came out, it got eclipsed by other cartoons that were out there, like X-Men and a few other things. So I really appreciate that. I, I like that maybe the video game kind of took the, the the base foundation that this book did and then just kind of put what worked about Batman in an animated kind of narrative timeline with that. I think that makes well, me want to play the game. I mean, taking it back even further, I mean, how how much did Batman the Animated Series have to do with Arkham Asylum, the depiction of the Joker. The the I mean, Arkham Asylum was a prominent aspect in Batman the Animated Series, mm-hmm. in the mythos of Batman the Animated Series, which I think debuted probably a year, maybe two years after Arkham Asylum. Was yeah, published. so this book published, published in 89. I, I know this uh, pretty well because the Tim Burton movie came out and we were all obsessed fanboys for it. And a couple of years later, it felt like Batman the Animated Series was a sequel to the movie. So yeah, same time, a couple of years after this. So I can absolutely see the inspiration. Going back to Arkham Asylum, we've talked a little bit about the influences, but obviously this isn't fundamentally a real, it doesn't feel like a Batman story because it's just yeah, like a Yeah, Batman's a prop. Version Batman's of Batman. a prop. So, but I, I, so I was thinking about that because that was something that always kind of bothered me initially. Like Batman's just, you know, he's just there. He's just kind of touring Arkham Asylum. He doesn't really do much. I mean, he kicks Dr. Destiny down the stairs. He kicks a man in a wheelchair down the stairs. It's basically Batman just kind of doing a tour of different villains that he normally runs into. And I'm kind of wondering how important it is for Batman to be a character here because it's not a conventional narrative. I don't think Grant Morrison is trying to do a conventional narrative or or even a character study of Batman. I was kind of thinking about this. I've been reading like a lot of Haunted House stories recently like the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson the house of leaves by mark danieleski and the thing about those is those haunted house stories is that the haunted house is often sort of like this metaphor this personification of the main character's fractured psyche or fractured relationships and all of that is sort of embodied in some way in the wrongness of the house and I think that's the best way to read Arkham Asylum. It's like a haunted house story. And that's why Batman has to be so repressed and scared because if he's like this confident, you know, man who's self-actualized, then then Arkham Asylum has no well, that, threat. That's that only in a really interesting point, Ryan, because yeah, when you read a superhero, you're following the everyman of the hero. You feel empowered when you read it. You feel like you're Superman. You feel like you're Batman. You feel like you're Iron Man, whatever it is. And so the trick of this comic is, I mean, it literally does start like a video game, right? He lands on the commissioner's roof. Where in a video game, you are the main character. Yeah. He lands on the rooftop. There's a crisis at Arkham. He even literally tells tells the Joker early on a terrible thing. You degenerate. And it's like this, it almost tricks you into the haunted house. Because... You think you're Batman, and 
shit just goes off the rails and you are powerless, but you've already entered this journey inserting yourself into the main character, so to speak, right? Even though he's a side character, he's a vehicle at best, like another book that we read recently, right? And by doing that, that really subverts your expectations and probably makes the horror even more real. Yeah, actually, lo- like, love how you point that out. Like, the first couple of pages when Batman shows up, it's a very conventional classic Batman, Batman right? Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. And, you know, and then and then the next pages, now the next few pages is where it starts to get very weird, where, where Batman kind of shows his his vulnerability. He kind of shows that he is overwhelmed by the situation. There's this threat of Joker. He's on the phone and he's, there's a scratching noise and it's revealed that he's scratching some victim's eyes. And, you know, Batman says, Jesus, no. And, you know, the next the next couple of panels of him is just Batman losing control. He says, no, no. And when he talks to Commissioner Gordon, you know, that's where it sets up what this book is about, which is, I'm afraid when I go in to Arkham, when the doors close behind me, it'll be just like coming home. And that's where you kind of realize the the fragility of that psyche. That is a bit of a cliche these days, right? You know, Batman is like, oh, you know, Arkham Asylum, those villains are just like me. They're just reflections of me. But I kind of feel this was like, an early version, an early attempt at that. And I guess maybe taking it into that historical context is easier to maybe forgive that what has now become a cliche. Yeah, I think with any of these books, and I mean, that's what's been fun about this project is some of these books that we're reading aren't the modern greats. This was written 32 years ago. That's nuts. And you have to take yourself back. Where were you in 1989? Batman was Tim Burton's Batman, you know, maybe the Adam West show, superhero comics. This is a pretty unique take in the first time you really delve or one of the first times I should say you delve into the psychosis of Batman. I mean, I think maybe one of the only other times it had been done well at the time would have been Dark Knight Returns where Batman is just this obsessed vigilante, right? So this take on him, this take on the reflection of his psychosis in the context of 1989, is a very new thing. I also want to say, like, Dave McKean's contribution is significant. I don't think this book would have worked at all if it was just, like, a more conventional... It wouldn't have worked at all if it was a more conventional illustrator. I think a lot of, like, Grant Morrison's tricks would have been exposed. For instance, there's this scene, maybe a third of the way through the book where one of the doctors is giving Batman a word association test. and One of my favorite parts. One of my favorite parts. But as written, it's kind of corny, right? I mean, it's sort of like, oh, yes, you reveal your psyche and then you can't take... But the way it's portrayed, it actually... And this is, you know, this is just basically the, the way... Dave McKean, I think, illustrates it with these collages. It's very, very abstracted. It actually makes what would have been a campy moment feel menacing and scary and and gothic-y. Like, there are real dramatic stakes involved. And, you know, again, I mean, this is all really a credit to how Dave McKean, how Dave McKean's illustrations interact with Grant Morrison's text. I think... There's something to be said about that. And I have like whatever the ultimate edition, which has the script and a ton of footnotes. And it's clear that McKean didn't so much pair with Morrison, but told Morrison, here's what I'm going to do with your script. I'm going to go off book in a few places. And it's a book of Sandman covers. Like my main 
my main exposure to McCain was the covers to Sandman when we read it. And to kind of stitch those that style together into a narrative plot line, at times I get a little lost, and that's okay. I think McCain doesn't want to tell a narrative story. But there are beautiful moments where you see some of the, the doctors in Arkham Asylum that he's talking to. But then there's just some, I mean, spellbinding pages. The one thing I found myself lingering on more than most comics. As I've gotten older, the art is just kind of a shortcut for me to consume the words. And I had to spend time with the art. There was no way I could seamlessly move through this comic. It just kind of draws you in. So honestly, McKean's art is just a much, as much a rock star as Grant Morrison is. I don't actually have the extended or annotated version. I got the basic version. <laughs> Are there any interesting insights from the extended version? I mean, you kind of mentioned one where Dave, McKe- it was really much more of a partnership between Morrison and, McK- and McKean with McKean just kind of doing his own thing. Was there any other indication of what Grant Morrison might have envisioned and how the final product might have differed from what McKean ultimately produced? I mean, it's beyond the script. There are these footnotes and I'm guessing the footnotes were written by Grant Morrison but because that's who people want to hear from, right? Rockstar writer Grant Morrison, and well-deserved, right? That you should sell based on that. As I mentioned earlier, Morrison wanted Robin to be a character in the book. He was going to be on the rooftop, and throughout the comic, he was going to be kind of your anchor to reality, and McKean just completely jettisoned that. That's one of the things I remember. But one thing, as I was kind of reading reviews on this, is McKean has Easter eggs planted throughout this book, and I can barely pick up half of them. But there's one where Grant Morrison was like, there are many other Pearl Mother references in the book. Can you spot them all? And so these are things McKean peppered in. And again, it's Morrison handing the reins on a a story and a plot in a loose script, a pretty good script, but letting McKean do what he wants with it. I can't imagine this book working with Robin on the roof in any capacity. I mean, the whole point is Batman's isolation. And to have Robin... There's, it's, it's almost sort of like a bailout. Again, the impact of this book for Batman is he's trapped in Arkham Asylum and he might not be able to get out. I mean, those are the physical stakes that you're encountering. And with Robin there, it becomes much more of a superhero story. And there's an escape valve for, for Batman because he's got backup. He's got backup right there, right on the roof, talking to him. Yeah. And I think that would have been a, that would have been a mistake. I mean, especially given the direction of this of this book. The other thing I wanted to bring up was the Alice in Wonderland references, which are all over the place. I mean, um, it's almost comical at some point. Yeah. Explicit references of Lewis Carroll, the, the Mad Hatter showing up looking like the caterpillar. Cause he's smoking a hookah. He says, little twinkle, twinkle, little bat. I wonder where you're at. Definitely an Alice in Wonderland reference. And I, I was kind of wondering if that was sort of also, I don't want to say a key to reading this book, but maybe a key to interpreting this book. And, Maybe I, I said earlier, this there's no real storyline here. There there isn't. Batman works his way through Arkham Asylum. He encounters different villains for random reasons. I mean, he just kind of each page is sort of like an encounter with a random villain. And rarely does Batman interact with them. By and large, like Maxi Zeus, the Mad Hatter, they're just kind of talking to him. And that actually strikes me as very Alice in Wonderland like, right? Because Alice wanders through Wonderland. There's no real rhyme or reason why she hits different places and she just has random encounters of people who just kind of show up and talk to her and when their time is done she moves on to the next weird place has a random encounter of somebody shows up and talks to her and then 
et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I, I think in a way that kind of prepares you into accepting that this book is going to be full of like narrative nonsense. It's not going to tie to, it does kind of tie together at the end because there's this meta narrative Batman needing to kind of like quell the uprising. But fundamentally, once Batman gets in there, he's in Wonderland and Wonderland as it did for Alice doesn't make any damn sense. And again, I don't think it's supposed to. I really, no. I, I, I think this is one of those books that it's about the journey, not the destination. And I think it took me a while to kind of accept that so much so that about a third of the way through the read, I was like, nah, I need to start over and just let go. Like, yeah, the faster I did that. It's like the ink. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The sooner I did that, the sooner I quit trying to see where is this going? It, I became more immersed in it because, and again, that's the problem with the Batman story. You come into it thinking it's, you know, he's one of the comic greats. So you think you're coming in for a linear story that's got a twist because it's Grant Morrison and some really cool art. But that's not what this book is about. It's, as you said earlier, it's not no. a story. It's a nightmarish ride through a haunted house that reflects this broken, broken man. And the art, again, really contributes to that. And as you mentioned, there are Easter eggs there. And normally when you think of Easter eggs in a comic book, it's sort of like self-referential, kind of flagging, oh, hey, you know, remember when this happened? But in this case, I think it's it's almost like it invites you deeper into the labyrinth, right? When you sit there studying Dave McKean's art, looking for Easter eggs, I mean, you're basically, it's like rummaging through the the drawers and the files of an old asylum. I mean, that's kind of the vibe you get when you're searching through the images that Dave McKean and Grant Morrison have have created. I wanted to ask you, though, about the most linear aspect of Arkham Asylum, which is the back... Well, so there's the parallel story. There's Batman running through the asylum, which we talked about. And then there's the story of Mad Amadeus Arkham and how Arkham Asylum came to be. And that's very linear. That's pretty much, you know, the story of a man who encounters a serial killer who kills his family and then he goes insane himself. Just what did you think of that? Well, I want to ask a clarifying question, which I think I know the answer to, and this will spoil it. At the beginning of the book, Arkham goes to, you know, he's from Metropolis, a prominent psychiatrist. He goes to Gotham to see a sick mother who basically goes crazy and kills herself. By the end of the book, did Arkham kill his mom? Yeah, that's that's kind of a dumb device, honestly. Like, I killed my mom, but for some reason I blacked that out, and suddenly I remember that I killed her. I mean, it's eh, it's a little bit, honestly, it's 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 creaky. But I think at that point, the revelation happens at the end, and you know, most of the impact in Arkham Asylum is in the fact that it happened earlier, right, with the with the murder of Doctor Arkham's family, and then later his fate, which is. He's basically trapped in the asylum that he created, literally. And so the whole revelation that he killed his mom is a little bit strained, but it kind of like, you kind of forgive it. <laughs> it's just, this isn't, a, this is, again, this isn't a, I think also because this isn't a, a book that's really hinges on the narrative. And so when you have that kind of weird narrative decision, you're just like, all right, you just needed to get that out of the way. Yeah. So to your point, it was a linear story and I didn't mind the passing back and forth. I think probably had I read it, between the the present day Batman kind of walking through the asylum, it does kind of come to a head at the end when the doctor discovered the thing about mad Dr. Arkham. But I didn't see the parallels I wanted to. Typically, when you see the beat by beat present in the past, Godfather part two sort of thing going on. Mm. And so it's okay. 
you know, it was okay. And again, if anything, it was, I thought I was having a trippy experience. Now I've got a narrative storyline with some pretty art. It kind of like emphasizes the hereditary aspect of the madness. Arkham, you know, inheriting it, I guess, from his mom or thinking he inherits it from his mom. And you have, I guess, that kind of playing out with, you know, Batman's madness. I mean, there's no direct like inheritance from anybody, but I guess it's maybe the idea of this madness sort of being contagious. You know, Batman goes in there and he's sort of like surrounded by all of these people who are who are like him it's a bit of a strange comparison actually the other thing i was thinking about is that it's it's in a way it's kind of an anchor right because the batman storyline itself is non-existent it's just he's just wandering through the hallways of arkham but what what's going to propel you through the book is the story of arkham amadeus arkham the founder of arkham asylum and what happens to his family and so in a way, it's it's sort of like the the narrative storyline, the hook that keeps kind of like dragging you through the book. Because if you're just in Arkham Asylum with Batman, who is like freaking out and he's just having these random encounters, you basically, I think you're going to wear out your welcome pretty quickly. So in a way, Arkham Asylum, the, the story of Arkham Asylum and how it came to be is that narrative engine that 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 propels you through through the comic. That's kind of how I was thinking about it in retrospect. You know, I wonder and again, I know the answer to this, but like I knew the video game existed, so I kind of I was like, wow, Grant Morrison's writing a video game even though it's 1989, the best we had was a Sega Genesis. But I I that there were moments when I felt that's how I felt the plot device. It was kind of the, you know, the in-game cutscene kind of content. That that's mm. what it felt like for me sometimes. Did it work for you? The storyline is it's almost a cliche, right? A, a gothic cliche where the insane asylum inmate comes to attack the doctor. I actually I literally just read a story about that by Thomas Ligotti called The Frolic. And that was written probably, I, I think that was also written in the 80s. I kind of feel like that was like an 80s horror cliche, right? You know, where the doctor is attacked by his patients. Hmm. Okay. Well, Raman, there's only one more question to ask, which is, what are we reading next week? Next week, we're going to the counterpart to Batman, the, the heads to his tail. We're going to talk about Superman. But not just any Superman, Ryan. Because what if I told you Superman didn't land in Smallville, Kansas, but he landed in Mother Russia? So next week, we're going to read Superman Red Sun, an Elseworlds story told by another famous British author, Mark Millar. And it is a, it's a fun romp and a fun take on... Something that you would expect as American as apple pie and baseball, but with kind of a fun twist through the generation. So Superman Red Sun, I'll be re revisiting it for the first time in, gosh, maybe a decade. All right. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs>